all of us have, sadly, a terminal disease. It doesn't matter um, how old you are. Um, it doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. And, it, and it's something that some of us maybe are a little more in touch with than others. And it's hard to admit, and it's hard to live with. And I'm speaking of this disease of pride. Huh. Pride. Now, there's lots of different types of pride. And if you were here a week ago Sunday when I spoke at the 1030 service, I shared with uh, the people, and I'll share with you this evening, that my number one fatal flaw, my shadow side, is spiritual pride. I, I just want to look good for Jesus. I somehow find myself just chasing, um, being spiritual, being, being righteous, that type of thing. And <laughs> the Lord, Lord knows that that's part of who I am. And even this evening, I'll say to you, I've asked some people to pray for my speaking tonight. Now, I wanted them to know um, that, hey, please pray that the Lord uses my message. But my shadow side wanted them to know, oh, Fritz, you get the opportunity to speak to the young adults. You still have opportunities to do ministry. In other words, I wanted those people to not just be praying for me, but to think about, oh, wow, Fritz, you know, you're so sharp and still speaking to people and all that. And the Lord just says, oh, get rid of it, Fritz. So there's spiritual pride. There's physical pride. So some of us struggle. Seriously, we're proud with the way we look. We're proud about just um, our hair color or, you know, we're ripped or what have you. And um, you can be pretty proud about your looks. I remember I'm a brand new Christ follower as a junior in high school. And I had a problem with um, um, acne. And this is before you had your wonder drugs and all that. But so I had to go to the dermatologist and he'd pull out the needle. And I had that big, not a zit, it's called a cyst, like the size of a quarter. And he'd inject that sucker with, I don't know what it was, but it hurt, didn't do much. And so I become a Christ follower, and I say, oh, Jesus, please, if you love me, take away my zits. <laughs> Did not happen. I still have the scarring here, and I won't tell you where else. So the idea that somehow we can be proud about our physical makeup. How about emotionally? Some of you in this room are very, you're, you've got under control. Nothing phases you. Uh, you're a fun person to be around. You've got what's called EQ, emotional quotient. And some of us can be proud about just our, our emotional status. Then there's the idea of intellectual. Those of you who are just smart, you're good at school, you're good at um, arguments, you're good, you have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but intellectually, you're pretty proud. You're pretty cocky. Then there's some of us who are proud about our materialism, the things we have, the things that define us. So how many of you, I don't, you don't need to raise your hand, have the newest iPhone? Was it 15, 22, or something like that? Okay, but you're proud you got the newest iPhone because every time iPhone comes out with a new one, you've got to have that. So we can be proud about the things that we own, the things that we possess. And then some of us might be proud about where we're at financially. In other words, you've got a really good paying job, or you've been able to get the car you wanted, and it's a status car, or maybe you've even been able to you know, buy a home or something like that. But you're just sort of feeling like, man, I'm making it here. 
I'm doing real well. And you have friends who are struggling and maybe asking you for money, and you're just saying, oh, yeah, I'll help you, maybe, maybe. But inside, you're just puffed up, feeling real good where you're at financially. Here's the last problem of pride, and that is what I call social pride. You're in the right group. You're a cool person. You're, people, you're a person that people seek you out. And just socially, you just sort of flow, man. You, everything's worked for you, whether it was in high school or in your college years or if you're even older. But just socially, I'm there. I'm not struggling like other people. I'm not this sort of loser, outcast type of person. Men and women, I could keep going with these different forms of pride. But that idea of struggling with pride is what we're going to look at in the book of Proverbs. But I want to first define some terminology, okay? So you've heard the word pride. Let's start with that. But I'm going to give you a couple other interesting words in the scriptures that are sort of cousins to this idea of pride. So pride is this. In the actual Hebrew word for pride, the root of it is, listen to this, really interesting, bubbling or boiling up. So think of two ideas. Just think of like lava and just the earth just bubbling up, this hot mass of whether it's sulfuric water or lava, it's just bubbling up from down deep and it's coming up. Or this big cauldron that's just filled with who knows what, food that you don't want to eat. Like when I was in India and they had these huge cauldrons filled with curry and chicken, and, ah, that thing, and you just see that thing bubbling. That's, that's one way of looking at pride. Here's some other ones. Being full of yourself, conceited, having an excessively high view of oneself and even of one's importance. It's the idea when you're proud, you become a self-promoter, you become self-defensive, you become self-absorbed. That's what pride is. Do you hear all those descriptions? Now, here's another word, haughty, not haughty, okay, haughty. And so what's haughty mean? It's having an attitude of superiority, that you're better than others. It's the idea, when you're haughty, you show contempt to people who are either less than you, don't agree with you. You just think, ah, they're not even worth my time. I'm not even going to share any sense of dignity. That's what it means to show contempt. A person who's haughty shows that contempt. It's the idea that you're above others and even maybe you're above God. You're just sort of like smug and, man, I've got it. I've figured it out. Life's good. That's haughty. Here's another word, arrogance, being overbearing or controlling. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of some people in my world who are particularly controlling. Um, not always easy to be around a controlling person, is it? Listen to these two words. You don't hear huffy and pompous. Good French word, pompous. Huffy, when's the last time you heard him? But a huffy person, it's like, ah, you know, they're just always full of themselves and like, I'm better than you. That's that arrogant person. One other description is that sometimes arrogance shows up in making presumptuous claims or assumptions. You just got it all figured out. You're absolutely certain, you're absolutely right on this one particular issue or political view, and so at this point, you are full of arrogance because nobody has it figured out except you. So, pride, haughty, arrogance, one other word. It's not a word we use a lot today, but you're going to see it in just a moment in the book of Proverbs. It's the word scoffer. 
scoffer. A scoffer is someone who mocks people, who jeers at others. A scoffer is one who often is filled with contempt. We've already talked about that. And often a scoffer is like a bully or someone who just oppresses others. They just have this sort of blank and suffocating people when they walk in the room. A scoffer. And one other thought, sometimes a scoffer can be like a disagreeable or an unpleasant person. So those are our definitions of what we're talking about, pride, haughty, arrogance, and scoffer. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21? So we've been in the book of Proverbs, this great book of life wisdom. How do you live life? How do you follow this journey of chasing after God? The book of Proverbs gives us insights and wisdoms for that. So you're saying, where'd you get all these definitions from? Take a look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24. Here's the description. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. We just used all four of our definitions in one verse. So Proverbs talks about this person who is proud, arrogant, full of themselves, who's haughty, and they're called a scoffer. So now let's look at sort of what's the descriptions of of pride and haughtiness versus humility. Turn to um, Proverbs 16, verse 18, and we're going to do a little um, charting, if you don't mind. I don't know if all of you can see this, but we'll do it anyway. Oh, yeah. There we go, baby. All right. So here's the word pride. And here's our word, humility. We're going to start seeing Proverbs and a couple New Testament passages list us. So Proverbs 16, so those of you who just turned back a couple pages, let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 18. What's it say? Well, this is probably the most familiar passage in the book of Proverbs about pride. It says what? Pride goes before what? Okay, destruction, and then and a haughty spirit before stumbling. So you hear that not even in the church. You'll hear that in athletics or in business or just in general, ah, pride comes for fall or destruction. So we know what does pride result in? I'm going to use a different color if you don't mind. Bing. Destruction. Also talks about a fall or another version I read is stumbling. So when you're dealing with pride, the result of it is pride comes before destruction, sort of produces that. I'm sorry if you can't see that. Also pride, haughtiness, you struggle with, you know, you're stumbling. You think you're just going along well and pride bug, stumbles you or you take a fall. Okay, let's keep going on now. Go ahead to Proverbs 29, please. Verse 23. This is what I love about God's word. Sometimes it's not rocket science. Sometimes the scriptures are just clear. And sometimes it's really hard. It's, 
mysterious. There's multiple ways to interpret a verse or even a subject. Well, I think we're pretty clear tonight. So Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain what? Honor. Okay? So it will bring him low. So pride brings low. Now you get this fall, stumbling brings low, but it also results in honor. All right, now we're starting to get on the other side. Well, we're not done. Turn back a few to Proverbs chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. So we got the opposite of, of honor. But with the humble is, I love it, wisdom. So pride brings dishonor. It impacts your reputation. impacts the way you view yourself. But with humility comes wisdom. Okay? Pride, destruction, fall, stumbling, brings you low. It's dishonoring. But humility results in honor and wisdom. I want to take you to one New Testament passage that's really a frightening passage. So to go all the way to the end of the New Testament to the book of James. Okay? So if you're trying to find it, you'll see the book of Hebrews, you get the first Peter, first John, you've gone too far. James chapter 5. Interesting, um, James is talking about um, conflict within the Christian community. And he then has a really scathing statement, a couple verses before the one we're going to look at about, don't try to be friends with the world. Don't, don't try to just be sucked into all that the world, all that this non-Christian world would offer. Don't be friends with the world. Now look at James chapter 5, please. I'm sorry, James 4, my bad. Go back one chapter. James chapter 4, but look at verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Love that phrase. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Men and women, <laughs> There's a lot of things that could oppose my life and that would make me a bit fearful and uncomfortable, okay? But I'll guarantee you this. I don't want God to oppose me. I don't want to have to deal with God opposing an attitude, a practice, a place where I'm at. So it says here that God opposes the proud, Ooh. But, what's he do? He gives grace, his favor, his goodness. You can just start, start unpackaging the idea of grace. Do you hear that? This whole idea of when we're proud, when we're full of ourselves, and we say, no, God, I'm doing it my way. Ooh. God opposes that. But when a man or woman humbles himself, 
says, Lord, I'm just going to trust in you, rest in you. He gives grace. All right? We there? Now, before I pivot to humility, I'm going to now give you the handout, and I'm employing some of these uh, front tables. You ladies ready? Good. All right, get those to everybody. So here you go. All of you, stand all of you. This is not this. Are you up for it? You st- oh, look at you, dude. You get it. No, don't give me this. Pass them out. Move quick. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. This is called controlled chaos. <laughs> Spread out. This whole left side needs some over here, please. Raise your hand. If, no, I, don't, I know you haven't gotten that. Left side over here needs some. Okay, if you got extras, hold them up, please. Over there, that whole left side over there, David. Thank you. All right. So now you all have handouts. Some of you are just wanting to hold it like your blankie from when you grew up, okay? (laughs) Hey, table folks, thanks so much. Dave, thanks so much for that. All right. Come back to me if you would, please. Let's talk about some definitions of humility. So when I went to the dictionary, it was full. It was robust with lots of different definitions of humility. Take a look now that you have it in front of you. Uh, Humility is a modest view of oneself. Okay? Lacking pretense. And you say, well, what's pretense? haven't heard that word. Pretense is lacking copying an attitude, it, it's, it's um, a, a sense of image, it's you know, all about me. No, pre- lacking pretense means you really don't care what others think of you, because it's not about you, okay? Having a holistic view of oneself, I just love that. Holistic means you're, wi- you're willing to look at both the good and the not so good about you, your strengths and weaknesses, okay? The uniqueness of how God has made you. It's a holistic view. I love that phrase. Uh, This is tough. This is tough. It's willing to yield one's rights or privileges. Well, if you're in a friendship, if you're in a work situation, if you've been married, basically in every human interaction, there's always this give and take. And situations escalate and get really out of control when people are unwilling to yield their privileges and their rights. And so to be humble is you're willing to do that. That's not easy. That's where I say, God, you got to give me grace in this matter because right now I am so dug in on my heels, I'm not going to move. I'm so hurt. I'm so bitter. I'm so stubborn right now. God, give me grace to yield there. Take a look at a couple other ones. It's not believing you are better than others. That's Webster Dictionary. So early on, this was in my college years, and I'm struggling with pride, hello, 
And I just heard this definition. I don't even remember who said it, but it just so profoundly captured me because it was sort of like a one-off. I was always thinking like, oh, humility, meekness. I'm a doormat. I've just got to view myself as not worth anything. Psalm 22, I'm a worm. Okay, all of that's right. But then when I heard this phrase that humility is strength under control, I had to think about that. And then the more I thought about it, I said, oh, I like that. Now, don't think of strength just by a personality. I have a strong personality, but all of you have strengths in your life. Now, this is worth writing down because I didn't put this in your notes. Ready for this? Your greatest strength and excess becomes your greatest weakness. Ooh. Your greatest strength in excess becomes your greatest weakness. For those of us who have a lot of strengths, when we get a little out of control, we're not allowing the Lord's grace to shape us, we can start finding our strengths getting a little out of control. So humility is what? Strength under control. That is so good. So this evening, as you think about who you are, and even just one strength, and maybe you get reward for that. You're smart. You're good at your work. You're a real uh, people person. People just, you're like a people magnet. And your pride just wants, whoa, look at that. And you say, no, Lord, humility is strength under control. And I would add this phrase, under God's control. Okay? Well, it even gets better. Sky Jathani is just an absolutely smart, insightful. He's been a pastor. He's a writer, speaker. He actually spoke in the No Regrets Conference uh, a week week ago. Listen to what he says. So typically when we're thinking of humility, it's like, oh, I'm unworthy. I'm small. Look what he says. Humility is not focusing on how small we are but being enraptured, captured, enthralled, consumed by how magnificent God is. Is that good? So you want to be humble. Yeah, I realize your weaknesses, and yeah, I'm not like this person, and I have strengths and all that, but, but humility is being absolutely captured and stunned and overwhelmed with how great and magnificent God is. That is a great way to live. That is a great way to check one's humility, when you put it against the very person and the character of God. And as we read the scriptures and discover more about who Jesus is and God the Father, and we just say, who am I, God? I'm just one of your creatures. Thank you that you would love me, that you would choose to have a relationship with me. You would walk with me. That's a good way to check humility. Excuse me, check pride with humility. Okay, let's look at what... Proverbs says about humility, and guess what? I only chose one verse. Turn to Proverbs 22, verse 4, please. So go all the way back to the middle of your Bible. If you're in Psalms, you're a little too far. Proverbs chapter 22. Verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Hmm. Like hearing that one. So humility what? Riches, 
honor, well, that's been repeated, and life. Well, I think I could live with those. I don't mind riches. Give me some honor. Let me have life that's life you would give. But what did Sam say in his first message about the book of Proverbs? Proverbs are not, prom- oh, bless you, are not promises. So for some of you who are saying, oh, there it is. I'm, I'm this, God, help me. I, I don't have a lot. It's 10 years from now, I want to have a whole lot more. And I want this. Okay, God could bless us with riches. And in fact, if we're in America, we're amazingly rich, stupidly rich, g- given so much. My point is God does reward humility with riches versus destruction, being brought low, dishonor, and he provides honor, and he provides life. Okay? Last verse. Got to go all the way back to where we were close with James. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a frightening verse. First Peter chapter 5, now verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you every time you want. Oh, no. I'm sorry. (laughs) That he may exalt you when? At the proper time. Proper time. Well, God is not a vending machine. He's not a butler. So let's not get into this, let's make a deal, even tonight. God, I'm going to humble myself, so will you exalt me now? At the proper time, which means the time is always his choosing, his work, not mine. And when God delays, you're in a place right now at work where you're being treated like trash, and, and you feel misunderstood, not appreciated, um, even uh, judged and all that bit. And you're just trying to stay humble. You're trying to stay not like on lashing or I'm going to bad mouth. You're just in a good place. And you're wondering, when is God going to show up and sort of redeem this crap situation I'm in? It's his time. And that's where we need to say, oh, God, would you give me grace to endure a hard work situation or relationship? Or you're in a hard place with your parents right now. And God said, you got to stay humble, not proud, not angry, not haughty. <laughs> One other thing here. What's the first two words? Look at your Bible. What's the first two words? Humble what? Humble yourself. Remember I said it's not a good place to be at when God opposes you? It's not a good place to be. When God says, Fritz, I gave you a chance to humble yourself. Now I'm going to humble you. Hmm. Door number one, door number two. Hmm. (laughs) At this point, I'm saying, God, help me grow in what it means to humble myself. And it's not like God's holding out like a club. But Peter is just saying, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He's God, I'm not. Because if you don't and you keep walking in your stubbornness and your pride and your self-sufficiency, guess what? The potential of this starts coming. And maybe for some of us in the room, 
you could give a really hard, powerful example. Yeah, I'm just coming out of a season where I was so proud. I was not going to humble myself. And then this happened. Wow. Well, I want to share David Brooks. He's a journalist. He's not a theologian or pastor. He's just so smart. Listen to his descriptions of humility. I'm just going to read through them. I'm not going to make a lot of comments. Humility is freedom from the need to prove you are superior. That's freeing. Flip side. Humility is the awareness that there's a lot you don't know, and there's a lot of what you think you know is maybe distorted. You can even put the word wrong. Wow. Humility can be where you could say to another person who has a very different opinion on ethics, politics, religious, spiritual matters, and you might say, you know, I'm not certain I'm right here. I'm open to be taught and for God to change my mind. I don't meet a lot of that in the church. Hmm. This is interesting. I'm going to meddle here. Intellectual humility is accurate self-awareness from a distance. Okay? You don't always have to have it in your face. Now listen carefully. It is moving from seeing one's life from the adolescence close-up view of yourself in which you fill the whole canvas to a landscape view in which you see from a wider perspective your strengths and weaknesses, your connections and dependencies, and the role you play in a larger story. Men and women, that is really insightful. And if I can just be lovingly firm with you, a good portion of this room, you are in some form of late adolescence moving into early adulthood. So when you're in high school, you're an adolescent. I'm out of high school. I'm an adult now. Okay, my point is, I think whether you're in your teen years, into your 20s, maybe even the 30s, his point is, just because of age and maybe immaturity of life, you have a much bigger view of yourself. And humility is allowing your optics to start seeing yourself and life from a greater distance that you now see yourself as part of a larger story and it's not all about me. That is profound. Enough said there. All right, two more quotes. This is from Dallas Willard, really smart, deep, deep man of God. He said, the humble are dependent upon God, not on themselves. Okay, we've been hearing that. I love this phrase, men and women. They abandon outcomes entirely to him. Outcomes, the things that we are wanting to accomplish. That applies spiritually, that applies relationally, that applies socially. We are so wound to make things happen. We live in such a, if I do this, I'll get that. A very, very high performance type of culture. And guess what? It's also true in the church that somehow I got to make it happen. And we have our little Christian heroes, and here are the spiritual people because they're praying and reading God's word, and those are all good. I'm just saying that Willard's saying we need to release the outcomes to God and be more consumed with him than the gifts he gives us or the outcomes. Let me finish it. 
We do our very best we know. We work hard and even self-sacrificially, but we do not carry the load he does. If you walked in this evening feeling this load of life, of performance, of whatever, I just want you to hear those words. It says that God is our burden bearer. He carries the load. All right. Henry Nouwen, Catholic priest, spiritualist. Watch out. The way of servant leadership and having a humble posture is not the way of upward mobility, doing more and more, better, getting this race, this position, becoming a leader in the young adults, going on the Mexico trip, oops, sorry, but the way of downward mobility. Don't, don't, you know, when I say leader in Mexico, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying our minds can start thinking, boy, I'm moving up, 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 up. And his radical thought is that the way of a humble posture is not upward humility, but the way of downward mobility. It is when we no longer pursue power as an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Come on. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Oh my golly, have mercy on us. Maybe some of the most stinging words that I've ever read to the church. And I'll just say this. You have a chance with my fourth question. Right now, the church in America has very little idea of humility. We are swimming in power. We're swimming in privilege. We're swimming in being right. We're swimming in being, you know what's so sad? You know what the world knows about Jesus, the gospel, and the church? What we're against. Father, have mercy on us. And humility says, no, I don't need the power. I don't need the privilege. And all you need to do is go outside America to third world countries and persecuted countries where you meet Christ followers. They have no idea of, of what we wrestle with in our whole consumption with power and privilege here in America. I'm done. You can pick that up when, uh, with my last question. Okay, here's my last thing. I want you to see a picture. I want you to see an illustration. I want you to see an image that I don't want you to forget. This idea of how, how do we be humble? Where's the example? Is it Brian? Is it Fritz? Is it Sam? Please, no. It's our Lord Jesus. And you look at his life. His birth was very humble. No fanfare. Not, no room in the inn. His life was very humble. It was mainly persecuted. He died the death of a, 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 of a criminal. Okay. But there's this one moment with his disciples in the week that Jesus was about to give his life. The night before, Thursday. It's called Monday, Thursday. And it's in what's called the upper room where Jesus shared communion with his disciples. It's called a Pascal meal in the Jewish tradition. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 13, please?
Starting with cha- uh, verse 3. Chapter 13. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, and they had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand thereafter. Peter said, Never! No, you shall not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. You think at this point, you think Peter is is maybe feeling, Lord, I'm just, I'm so humble here. No, no, no. What's happening with Peter here is that Peter's left everything to follow his rabbi. And in the Jewish custom, particularly in the time of Jesus, when you followed a rabbi, you took on the identity of that rabbi. And Peter, leaving this fishing business, following Jesus for three years, is hoping Jesus is the real deal. He's the Messiah who's going to come and deliver God's people from the Romans. And he just got this wonderful Palm Sunday, Hosanna, the king is here. And now Jesus has just taken this posture, this position of literally taking off his garments, putting a towel around himself, and humbling himself to to wash the feet, the dirt and the dung and all the stuff that is just, you don't bring into a house into a meal. And Peter's saying, Jesus, no, no. I I don't want you to do that because you're not keeping up with my stereotype, my image of you. And Jesus says, what, Peter? If you don't let me wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Maybe a little different take on that. But look how this ends. Simon Peter, verse 9, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Ah, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher, Lord, and you are right. For so I, I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do also as I did to you. Don't freak out. I'm not going to wash everybody's feet. (laughs) And I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. But I'd like to. And if you've never been part of a foot washing, someday you do. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said you should do this as an example of what I've done to you. And how little do we do foot washing in the church? So I want you to picture yourself. Jesus invites you to come and have your feet washed. Here's the key thing. I want you to think about and note in your mind, in your imagination, 
Three postures. Three ways that Jesus could have washed his disciples' feet. So you could be sitting here, and Jesus could say, come up to you and say, ah, oh, oh, those feet are pretty dirty. You know, to be at my table, you've got to wash your feet first. You've got to clean up. There you go. Jesus is standing, giving instructions, telling him, no, you've got to do this. You've got to wash your own feet here. Or maybe Jesus stoops. Oh, um, you're doing okay. Oh, wait a minute, you missed a spot over there. Oh, in between your toes there. Oh, would you make, uh, don't spill the water. Um, oh, by the way, when you're done, put, put the towel down here, please. Well, Jesus is stooping. That's not what our Lord did. Our Lord got on his knees and he poured the water. And he grabbed the towel and he probably grabbed underneath the calf and raised that leg. And he'd done this enough that he probably didn't need to always look at the feet. And he began to wash the feet and he'd look into the eyes of his disciple and say, thank you so much for following me. Been a hard day, hasn't it? You know I love you. I'm praying for you and for the rest here, especially after I leave you. And our Lord is sitting here on his knees, not sitting, he's on his knees, humbling himself and washing the feet that only the lowliest servant in that house, home, whatever, would do. Men and women, as we wrestle with pride and humility, you have definitions and descriptions today. But right now, if you want to be a man or woman who is humble and following after Jesus, be willing to get on your knees. Let's stop being the type of Christians that stand and just give instructions, commands, or we stoop and, oh yeah, but we're actually down with them and saying, I will touch you. I will do a despicable task of culture because I love you and I've given my life to you. And I say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want your humility. That's what I want you to do tonight in terms of leaving, thinking, I want to wash the feet of people in my head, heart, and hands. Before I pray, I want you to take a look right at the end. I gave you four questions for your group. Look at number one because I want to add something. I, I left out something. Which one of the definitions of humility most captures you and why? I want you to also include the David Brooks descriptions. So you got the Webster Dictionary, Fritz's definition, Sky's definition, and then those four definitions from David Brooks. Okay? So that's what you're going to choose from. And look at question number four. It's a bonus question. Why do you think the American church and its leaders struggle so much with pride and too little with humility? Any suggestions to change this? Love to listen in on what you might say there if you get to it. Thank you, men and women. Proverbs is such a rich book, so practical. But I wanted us to see it fleshed out in the life of our Lord.
And let us be women and men who are not afraid to bend the knee. And one of my questions is a tough one. Is there someone in your life right now that you need to humble yourself and serve or serve more? I think there are. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to lay that person on you. Not just tonight, but in the days to come. Let me pray. Father, thank you. (sighs) Forgive us for our pride. For our haughtiness. For my arrogance, God. Thank you that you are patient with us. You are forgiving. You give us second chances. And that you would lead us to be men and women who are more and more filled with humility. A sense of brokenness. A sense of being teachable. And certainly being servants in the way of Jesus. So guide our time now. Let us have just robust conversation in this matter of pride and humility. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.